Well, we're basically in place, so let me open us with a word of prayer, and we will get started. So, dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for another day to be with your people. Lord, we thank you for the privilege of gathering together in the body of Christ, and we thank you, Lord, that you've given us a measure of safety and peace, but Lord, help us to live our lives in such a way that the persecution that you promised is going to come would impact us in a way that brings you glory. Pray that we would be faithful, and as we continue our study today, I pray that you would open our minds and our hearts so that we would think deeply about your truth as we grow in our knowledge of you, and Lord, that we would live out the knowledge in our daily lives. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, I'm very excited. Nothing went too far awry in our life, so I'm here two weeks in a row. This is great. Um, Now, it's not as though the week was uneventful. We had to get a new dishwasher, and there's a few other things on the horizon, but nothing that impacted my ability to study and be here. Now, we'll jump back into our study of 2 Peter, and I gave a more full review last week because I'd missed a few weeks, so I'm going to give a quicker review this week, and we're going to finally finish our second point. If you remember when I introduced the material, we're covering the first four verses of chapter 1 of Second Peter because I think these are very foundational. These are the underpinnings for everything else that's going to flow in the letter. And we'll talk more about it later, but one of the things that the letter is addressing is the prevalence and the appearance of false teachers, false prophets, people that were peddling a so-called knowledge, trying to lead believers astray. And so these first few verses, even though they're just an introduction to the letter, are really laying a theological foundation for everything that follows to encourage and strengthen and instruct the believers. So it's a simple three-part outline, the foundation of Second Peter, and I'm not going to cover the first point again, which is really the messenger of God, but this is written by the Apostle Peter, and he is an authoritative representative of God. He's a humble representative, but he's not just telling them his own thoughts. These are God's words that he's sharing. And the second point is where we've spent parts of three weeks. It's the work of God. I've been highlighting as we've been going through this over and over and over. What you see is the focus isn't so much on the believers, although they're mentioned and what's happened to them is mentioned. Really, the focus is on what God has been doing. It's his work. So the book begins, Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have received a faith of the same kind of desires by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Again, to those who have received makes it clear they were given a gift. And as we studied, it is a gift from God. And it's a gift of faith. God gave them that faith. And it's the same kind meaning it's a leveling faith. The greatest apostle and the lowliest saint stand on the same footing. There's not a special faith for the Pastor Steves of the world and then another faith for the lowly servant. We all have the same kind of faith. We are all equal at the cross, equally loved by God, equally forgiven, equally provided for. And he says this faith comes by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. And again, as we studied, it's making it clear that the righteousness of God is dealing with God's justice. 
his correct and proper evaluation of sin and guilt. And because we're sinners and the wages of sin is death, if God had not intervened, we would have no hope. But God did intervene. And by the righteousness of Jesus, meaning his perfection, his perfect obedience, the fact that he never sinned, that's credited to our account. Our salvation is a gift of God. We've received it. We didn't work for it. And it's only because of what Jesus did for us. He lived the perfect life we couldn't live. And when God looks at us, he sees the perfect account of Jesus. We get credit for Jesus' perfect life. It's the work of God. And he's very clear as he talks about God the Father and God the Son. And he'll talk about God the Holy Spirit. The reality is here, he's making it clear Jesus is God. He's God and Savior. And then he talks about grace and peace. He gives a prayer of sorts. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Grace is God's unmerited favor shown to sinners. Peace is the peace that God gives us in salvation so that we're no longer at enmity with God. We're no longer His enemies. But it's also that ongoing peace one of the fruits of the Spirit that allows us to face the trials of life, including the type of persecution Pastor Steve talked about. And he knows we need more of this. We have at our salvation God's grace and His peace, and we have our salvation secured, but as we live out our life, we need more. We find grace to help in time of need when we pray to the Lord. We pray and the peace of God that surpasses all understanding is given to us. And grace and peace are multiplied in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. This is ultimately going to be the point that we talk about next week. The third point is the Word of God. That's the third foundation. But this is exactly what he says. We can't avail ourselves of the blessing God has given us unless we have a deeper understanding and knowledge of God, a comprehensive knowledge a surpassing and deep and abiding knowledge. And God has already given us the ability to appropriate all of this. Verse 3, seeing that His divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and excellence. And I really highlighted this last week that if you didn't hear anything else in Second Peter, camp on this, memorize this. Because it's a reminder that we don't have to look to the world and experts and other things for what we need to navigate life. God has given it to us by His divine power. Again, it's the work of God. He's given us everything. Not just some things, it's comprehensive. All you need to live holy as God is holy. All you need to live the Christian life you already have been given by God's divine power. We don't have to sort of pull up our bootstraps and tough it out on our own. God's already given it to us. We just have to appropriate it. Through the true knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and excellence, it's just a reminder that we were called by God. Again, we weren't smarter than all the other people on the planet. God reached down and drew us to Himself. He called us because He showed us in our sinful state the glory and excellence of Jesus. So you have all you need for life and godliness available to you. You need nothing else beyond 
your salvation, which gives you God's Spirit to dwell within you, and the Word of God, which God has graciously given to us in the Bible. So that's the quick review of everything we've covered so far over several weeks. But now as we move into verse 4, we see yet again another work of God. Over and over, God is at work. God is doing. And these are just reminders to the believers of the comprehensive work that God has done on their behalf. Verse 4, For by these He has granted to us His precious and magnificent promises, so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Again, the focus is on God's work. He says, for by these, and while some disagreement exists, it seems clear he's talking about by these, he means the glory and excellence of Jesus Christ. Even the differences of nuance and the meaning really mean the same thing. God has granted to us by those things that led to our salvation, that the divine power that gave to us all we need for life and godliness, by these He's granted to us His precious and magnificent promises. Again, God granted to us. My default setting when I look at that is to look at the precious and magnificent promises. That's what I want to talk about. That's what I see, and we're going to talk about that. But what I gloss over is He has granted to us. The American way is always about make your own way. Do it yourself. Be independent. You can do it. And those aren't necessarily bad things. Don't misunderstand. But when it comes to these things, Peter is making it clear our sovereign God has already intervened in our lives in unbelievable ways. This should encourage every one of us. This should strengthen us. He's talking about precious and magnificent promises. Again, these are critical. They're the promises of God's Word, and I'm going to come back and talk more in a comprehensive way about God's Word later. But he's talking about value, things of great worth. These are the very greatest promises. These are the very greatest and most valuable. And this is critical. Part of the reason that Peter can say we have everything we need for life and godliness is because we have been granted by God these precious and magnificent promises. It goes together. We don't have to grope in the darkness wondering what God wants from each one of us. When I was first saved, and I've shared this before, when I was first saved, there were a lot of things going on in Christendom, but I always remember there were like these things to find out what your spiritual gifts were, and there were things to discern God's will. And I remember reading these things and wondering about all of that. And the longer I live, I realize God's will is not really a mystery. It's not necessarily what we think of because we're thinking about life in the big picture. But the reality is, I can't tell you what God's will is for your life two days from now, but I can tell you what the will is today. Be holy as God is holy. Now, I'm going to give you a secret. Two days from now, I'll say the same thing. But the point is, we're always looking ahead. The reality is, we have everything we need to deal with the here and now. 
Jesus said, don't worry about tomorrow. Each day's got enough trouble of its own. That's what I'm talking about. So, so we have these precious and magnificent promises, and there's nothing greater. We don't need anything else. In a society consumed with money and wealth, we have something better. Psalm 119.72 says, The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. We really have to believe this. We have to apply it to our hearts. We have to treasure what we've been given even more than the things of this earth. Again, these points run together because it's all the same thing, but as I was thinking on this, you know, we always can look around, and it's not a secret, the world's getting worse. It seems like every day there's something in the news that makes you more depressed than yesterday. Things are going from bad to worse. The earth is in turmoil. America's in turmoil. Sadly, if you spend any time looking at what are called evangelical churches, evangelical churches are in turmoil. Over and over again, you see churches that don't even stand for the simple principles of the gospel. Why is everything such a mess? Because everyone, including sadly many churches, have rejected the precious promises of God. We need the psalmist attitude, again in Psalm 119, 159, Consider how I love your precepts. Revive me, O Lord, according to your loving kindness. The sum of your word is truth, and every one of your righteous ordinances is everlasting. If you read through the entirety of Psalm 119, you see that type of sentiment expressed over and over and over again. But I think the warnings of God to His people, Israel, in the Old Testament, are the type of warning this world and many churches need today. Now, I'm going to read from Isaiah chapter 5, beginning at verse 20. But what does this sound like? Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who substitute darkness for light and light for darkness who substitute bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and clever in their own sight. That only sounds like everything around us. A little further down, verse 24 of Isaiah 5. Therefore, as a tongue of fire consumes stubble, and as dry grass collapses into the flame, so their root will become like rod, and their blossom blow away as dust. For they have rejected the law of the Lord of hosts and despised the word of the Holy One of Israel. On this account, the anger of the Lord has burned against His people and He has stretched out His hand against them and struck them down. And the mountains quaked and their corpses lay like refuse in the middle of the streets. For all this, His anger is not spent, but His hand is still stretched out. Now that was a specific judgment on the nation of Israel but I think you understand from Scripture that's the judgment that's awaiting all of those that today are shaking their fist at God and saying, we'll do it our way. I don't care what the Bible says. They're rejecting those precious and magnificent promises that have been granted to us. As God 
judged his chosen people who despise his word, so will he judge everyone who tramples his word underfoot. Hebrews chapter 10, beginning in verse 29. How much severer punishment do you think he will deserve who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has regarded as unclean the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has insulted the Spirit of grace? Verse 30, For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, and again the Lord will judge his people. Verse 31, It is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. So Peter is just reminding us that we've been spared from that. God is at work. God has worked. He's granted to us His precious and magnificent promises. He did it at the moment of our salvation that enables us to avoid judgment. And He continues to do it on a daily basis so that we can walk in obedience to Him. That's really what's talked about at the end of verse 4. For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises, so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Now, even though the language seems a little different, the reality is Peter is simply pointing out additional blessings that flow from those precious and magnificent promises. They flow from being a child of God, one who was called by Him and given His Word. Those promises are what enabled us to become partakers of the divine nature. The language in English seems future, so that by them you may become, but the reality is what's being stated in Greek is that we already have this. We already have it at salvation. It's not saying that some become partakers of the divine nature and some don't. No, it's saying this is a present reality for every believer. One of the things that has happened by those precious and magnificent promises is that we have become partakers of the divine nature. We are in Christ now. As Paul said, for example, in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Also in Romans 8, verses 9 and 10, Paul said, However, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. If Christ is in you... Though the body is dead because of sin, yet the spirit is alive because of righteousness. So Peter is not contradicting this and saying that, well, for some of us, we get this, some don't. He's simply stating every one of us have become partakers of the divine nature and we can walk more by the spirit daily because of what God's given to us. He's granted us these promises. They enabled us to be saved, but they also enable us to be sanctified. The Bible often says over and over, walk by the Spirit, walk by the Spirit. As we do, we'll be more and more like Jesus. And again, in a letter that is being directed to people who are being bombarded by false teaching and outside influences, 
he reminds them that we already have escaped and are protected from those things. He finishes and says, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. It's a reminder to us what we were and what we are. And it's also a reminder to us of the world around us. It's a powerful reminder that God delivered us from our dead way of life. Ephesians 2, 1 and 2 is very familiar to us. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. That really is a snapshot of the world we live in. I have to be careful how I phrase these things. Because I think most people in the world don't realize what they're actually doing, the lost I mean. Some do, many are walking in blindness and darkness. Actually, they're all walking in blindness and darkness. I just think some are more culpable in terms of their awareness of what is going on. But when we look at our society, we see a world that has rapidly changed. And it wasn't 10 years ago that we all knew that marriage was between a man and a woman. Now our society's gone crazy. More than three or four years ago, we used to think that we understood basic anatomy. I won't repeat it in Sunday school, although it's not profanity, but there's a little line from the movie Kindergarten Cop. I've only seen it once, but I remember this cute little boy's, boys have, girls have. It's Kindergarten Cop cop anatomy. It's not complicated. Drives me crazy when I hear that somebody was assigned a certain gender at birth. It's like, no, they weren't. Okay, you're on the red team, you're on the... No, look, you can tell. But we see this playing out not just in an occasional thing, we see it playing out at the highest levels of government that's being branched out. We see it seeping into higher education. We see it at the lowest levels of the education of children. You have doctors trying to work with two and three-year-olds on their gender transition. This is comprehensive, but that's just one issue that we go, what's going on? It goes beyond that. The world is going increasingly insane if you have sanity. But if you don't have sanity, you're just walking along with everybody else. That's why we have to be careful about our anger at people. We should have more pity than we have anger. We should have more burden to share the gospel with people than just to shake our fist at them and tell them they're stupid and they're wrong. Pastor Steve was talking about something like that. But understand, if you're walking according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the satanic forces that are actually pulling the strings on all of this, it looks normal. Looks good. Looks natural. That's the corruption that's in the world by lust. These wrong desires, these false desires that unbelieving 
individuals have. And here's the challenge for us and why I emphasize this. We need to make sure that we stay away from those corruptions. That's the danger of people developing their theology not by what Scripture says, but by what they see in the culture. Because the culture is going from bad to worse, and it's being guided not by God, but by the prince of the power of the air. How much do you think Satan wants you to get right about the Word of God? Of course, none of it. He knows it well, and he's arrogant enough that he even tried to tempt the Word of God by the Word of God. So our lives were like that. They aren't anymore. And we need to make sure that they don't become that way. That's why we read in a passage like 1 John chapter 2, beginning at verse 15. Again, it's familiar, but we need to constantly think about these things. Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. The world is passing away and also its lust, but the one who does the will of God lives forever. Again, this is the temptation for us, particularly when people are teaching false doctrine, the focus of this book, and they're teaching it from a pulpit, and it appeals to us because it would let us fit in with all the other people a little bit better. Well, maybe that's not true. I mean, it says it clearly in the Bible, but maybe there's wiggle room. Maybe... There's a loophole. There's not. But there are a lot of false teachers standing in pulpits today telling you things that contradict the Word of God. So we need to treat, and I'm going to cover it a lot next week, we need to treat these precious and magnificent promises not as though they're a self-help book. I want to do better in my career. I want to get a promotion. I want my kids to jump through the right hoops. No, this is critical to our life. This is how we continue to grow in Christ's likeness. Again, we used to be there, now we're not. As Paul said in Colossians 1, verse 13 to 14, for he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. We need to stay out of that dark kingdom, which is a challenge because it's all around us. But we've been rescued from the corruption. So let me bring point two to a close. The work of God, this foundation, the messenger of God, the work of God. God has already done for us more than we could ever imagine. But just in these few verses, we could cling to these in a world that's going absolutely bananas. And even as we have this cacophony of voices yelling at us, look over here, look over here, look over here, we come back to the Word of God and we realize... God's work in our lives means something. He's given us faith that comes through the righteousness of Jesus. He's given us grace and peace with Him. And He's given us the ability to have peace even as the world does go bananas. Through the knowledge He's given us about Jesus. 
He's given us through His divine power all that we need for life and godliness. Through His Word. He has called us. He's given us His precious and magnificent promises and He has given us and enabled us to be partakers of the divine nature. We live in Christ. We have the Spirit dwelling within us. And He's rescued us from a life of corruption and decay that we see every day all around us. All of these works of God are really foundational to the book, but they're foundational to our lives. In Christianity, we're called to obey. If you love me, obey my commandments. Over and over, I will tell you we should do things. Prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. So don't misunderstand what I'm saying. There is a call for us to exert our wills diligently and strive to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. To seek after God. So certainly with all of our wills, conformed to the image of God, conformed by His Spirit, we're supposed to work hard at these things. But what we have to realize is God's already given us everything to start with. It's a great promise to be told. You need to run the race, and by the way, you win. You're already going to finish. So again, all of this in laying the foundation for the book. For this point, I've been focusing on the work of God. And we finally have covered the first four verses. It took a long time. So we're going to come back next week and we're going to cover the first four verses again. But we're going to do it with a different emphasis. And everything I've said about the Word of God, I'm going to say even more and more and more. Again, God has given us everything we need for life and godliness, but I can promise you that that involves us being students of His Word of not taking it for granted. And I believe in my heart that you love the Word of God because you wouldn't come to Lakeside for any other reasons. We don't have bells and whistles. We don't give out free donuts. We just have someone saying in the pulpit, Pastor Steve, week after week, and open up a buffet of the Word of God. But understand, if all that you receive of the Word of God is on Sunday when Pastor Steve preaches or when you hear me teach you're shortchanging yourself. If you're not appropriating this every single day, if you're not thinking biblically, you're going to struggle. So I want to help us with all of that. I want to help us be grounded and by God's grace, we'll finish the foundation of Second Peter next week when we come back and we cover the third point, the Word of God. So join me as I close our time in prayer and I look forward to seeing you next week. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for what you've done in our lives. Lord, you call us to repent and believe, and we thank you that we've been able to do that. But Lord, on this side of the cross, we see ever more clearly that you're the one who is at work in us to conform us to Christ. And Lord, we thank you for the precious and magnificent promises you've given us, including the promise that because of your divine power, we have all that we need for life and godliness through your word. 
Lord, I pray as we study this book that you would impress these truths deeply onto our heart, that you would help us where we tend to think worldly to start thinking biblically. Lord, if each one of us has various temptations and desires of our hearts, Lord, to the extent any of them are temptations and allurements of this world, I pray that you would protect us. Lord, help us turn away from the corruption that's in the world by lust. And Lord, as we go through this, protect us from the rampant false teaching that's swirling around us. It's on the internet, it's on videos, it's on TV, comes through books, it comes through friends who think they're helping us by sharing us a, a great word or thought, and yet the word or thought isn't from you, it's from the pit of hell. Lord, protect us. Help us and guide us. And Lord, let us live lives that are holy like you're holy, such that the persecution that you said will come to believers will experience it. Not for the sake of misery, Lord, but for the sake of your glory. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, guys, and I look forward to seeing you next week.